Hey there, listeners. Well, there's been a lot of discussion around the world about people and the work environments they work in and coming back to the office, staying out of the office, working from home. There's a whole lot of things around that. And I interviewed a lady called Nancy Lyons. And Nancy is the CEO and co-founder of an organization called Clockwork. And she's an outspoken advocate for making work better, being more inclusive, more flexible, and more adaptable as well. We had a great conversation. And the title of this episode is actually Your Future Leaders Are Sitting in the Organization. And so one thing we talked about was not settling or don't settle for less and expect more. The other thing too was around leadership needs to show up at all levels of the organization. Here's another one. The other topic we talked about, and we, we sort of, was really quite a cool conversation around it, was the fact that we actually need to have brain space to think strategically. And not enough people are thinking strategically. In fact, they're not taking the time to think. And so Nancy and I had a great conversation about all of this. So let's get into it, eh? Let's listen to the episode. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us again. And uh, we have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Nancy Lyons. Nancy, a big welcome to you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Now, whereabouts are you in the world today? I am in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S. Oh, very good. Now, I asked that question with my guest because a lot of the listeners are around the world and they want to know where the guest is from. And so that's all good. I understand that you're the CEO and the co-founder of Clockwork. Now, tell us a little bit more about that organization. Sure. Clockwork is an experience design and technology consultancy. We're based in Minneapolis. We've got clients all over the globe. We have a workforce all over the country, all over the U.S., and we've been around for about 21 years. We solve a lot of like big, gnarly problems in regulated industries. So we focus in on healthcare, insurance, manufacturing, and financial services a great deal. And I understand from your bio that you're actually an outspoken advocate for making work better. Tell us more about that. You know, work, I think, is broken, and we're sort of acknowledging that now more than ever because of the pandemic and what it did to us. I think the whole globe is in an existential crisis. We're asking ourselves if the work that we're doing is the work that we want to do, if our purpose is really found in the context of this work if we're doing something meaningful. And I I actually, you know, often find myself trying to talk to audiences about how they can show up to create the meaning, to connect to their purpose, to be accountable. And quite frankly, we're not living in the same era that we were when, you know, say my parents were growing up. You don't have to work in a job for 30 years. Also, many of us have pursued either training or education that puts us in the same, um, you know, we're peers with leaders inside of organizations. And so we aren't trapped. We're not in prison. Work isn't a prison sentence. We have power and we can either use it to make work better 
or use it to find ourselves different opportunities where we can actually make work better. Yeah, it's fascinating how things have changed since, as you said, our parents, when they were working, you know, they, they retired after 30 years, get a gold watch and a dead chook as a retirement gift and see you later. And so there was what they used to get. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's different now. And people who are struggling now, if they're listening to this episode and they're struggling around why they're getting up to go to work or it's too hard to get to work, that purpose is missing, what do you reckon they should do? Well, you know, that's a symptom of late stage capitalism. So the entire system has to be addressed, right? But but people on their own are saying, well, what the heck can I do about that? And what can I do about myself? And I think, first of all, ensure that the place where you are choosing to devote the majority of your time and talent, make sure that their values align with yours. Because if you don't feel like you're doing something that matters, you'll never get the energy you need to get up in the morning, right? So I'm always encouraging organizations to make sure that their values aren't aspirational or marketing speak. And I encourage individuals to, you know, it's interesting, but I I think we spend a lot of time writing marketing plans, sales plans, business plans, but individuals don't take a lot of time to articulate absolutely how they want to spend their time, where they see themselves creating and adding the most value, where they see themselves being most challenged. So I think first and foremost, there's an opportunity for us right now in this moment in time to go, what is the most meaningful thing for me to do in spending you know, my energy for however much time I have left in my career and really articulating, what do I want to do? Where do I want to do it? How do I want to show up? What kind of organization really resonates with me? What kind of values am I looking to connect with inside of that organization? And then don't settle for less. Don't settle. Mm -hmm. We aren't living in an era where we have to anymore. Even, you know, unemployment is at at an all-time low in the United States right now. We're still talking about the economy being crazy, but unemployment is at an all-time low, and that might scare people. But talent, good, solid talent that can devote really thoughtful, considered, committed energy is something that employers fight for. So I think it's always going to be an employee's market if they know how to market themselves and if they're purposeful about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing that. I've also seen that you've got a book out there, your your latest book, because I think you've got a couple. The latest one is Work Like a Boss, uh, Kicking the Pants Guide to Finding and Using Your Power at Work. And it's along the lines that you've just been sharing, I presume. Is there anything else you want to add about the book? I talked about parents earlier and you know working in a place for 30 years and collecting a paycheck and moving on. I, I think you know something about that era of work created a situation where we have these ideals entrenched in our DNA that aren't necessarily true anymore. You know, I had a conversation just this morning with a colleague, and one of the things I said to her was, my goal is to ensure that we are always co-creating a clockwork. It's not about leadership mandating things. We are co-creating. And I think that humans need to approach work with a sense of agency and power and a willingness to take risks. I talk a lot about this idea of intrapreneurship. Your podcast is about leadership. And when I thought about what I was going to speak to in this conversation, one of the points that I make with everybody is leadership is not a is not delineated by a line on the org chart anymore. I think the expectation is that we need leaders throughout organizations. We need people to be able to take initiative, make decisions, take risk, you know, not be so siloed and focused on a single thing that they aren't valuable anyplace else, people who are constantly evolving, who want to be challenged. 
I think that leadership looks different because we need it in so many different areas inside of companies. I, I think it's awesome what you're sharing there. Question I've got for you, though, is how did you get into leadership? I always tell people that leaders aren't people that say, follow me, darn it. They're people <laughs> who other people feel compelled to follow. And, you know, I think early in my career, I wasn't somebody who approached every opportunity as if I will do this and then you will owe me. I approached opportunities as a chance for me to demonstrate my skills, my way of thinking, my strategic capacity. And so honestly, I got into leadership because one of the companies that I was working for prior to this work had partnered with a consulting firm to help ready themselves for acquisition. And when they did that, the entrepreneurs who had founded the place realized that they were probably not the right folks to lead going forward as they started to really, you know, um, operationalize the best aspects of their work. And they asked the consultant, should we post a job for a new president? Should we go looking to recruit that? And he said to them, your president, you know, your boss, your leader is right under your nose. And it's this person who has learned every aspect of the business, worked in every aspect of the business, provided, you know, added value in every aspect of the business and is showing up as a leader already. And that was a, a real opportunity for me. I recognized that, you know, they decided they needed a boss and they realized their boss was right there. And so I, I give them kudos, you know, to two men who saw something in me that maybe at the time I didn't see in myself, but also were willing to really value the work and the contributions that I had made to such a degree that they were willing to give me a, an opportunity to lead. Brilliant. And, and what was it like for them to sort of step aside to allow you to be involved in that transition? What was that like? You know, I, I think that it was hard at first. It was hard for me to take the wheel, you know, as, as much as it was hard for them to let go of it, because that was always who they had been. And I'd been sort of trained to be subordinate, right? And so in my role as a subordinate, as a, as an employee of these two people, it was easy for me to lead everybody else. But when it came time for me to also include them in that, in that group, that, that was a tough challenge. And yet, you know, I go back to the whole co-creation thing. You know, when we opened ourselves up to the power of our energy, combined, it became really exciting to consider what we might do if we all focused on our highest and best use. Yeah. And I think even the word that sort of popped into my head as well when you talked about that was your intent for all of you, all three of you was the intent of what we wanted to do here and working together. And I think that, that's special, very special. I see a lot of organizations do go to market. We've got to go and find that new CEO, president and so forth. And there are some really good bench strength talent sitting in the organization. And I think that consultant was really, really smart and actually seeing the gems within the organization and bringing that out. And I think that's smart, very smart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Now, this person could be alive or from history, but is who's your favorite leader and why? You know, I knew you were going to ask me this question, obviously, and I thought a lot about it. And I mean, there are so many women and men that I meet every day or that I have relationships with or who are mentors to me or who I have reverse mentors. So it's really hard to single them out. So I'm actually going to talk about a wildly aspirational historical leader 
who I think is probably one of the best leaders in history, and that's Martin Luther King. And I believe that because I think Martin Luther King embodied what I said earlier. A leader isn't somebody who says, follow me, damn it. And certainly the United States has some leaders who fit that mold. And I'm, I won't go into it, but I'm sure you all get a big kick out of watching us from afar in our political arena. It must look like a game show. Martin Luther King was somebody who compelled others to follow him. He spoke the truth in a meaningful way, and he represented a faction of our population that required that representation, that needed that leadership, and that that needed that voice. And he was that voice. So I think that he used his power for good. He was about as selfless as a human being could have been. He understood that the future required a reckoning with our past. And and he led because, you know, I always think about Maya Angelou wrote, Why Does the Cage Bird Sing? And, you know, that the, the spoiler alert, alert is the end of the book. And that is the answer to the question, why does the cage bird sing? Because he must. And I think, you know, Martin Luther King was a leader in the way that he was because he had no choice, because his calling was clearly to start a conversation that we have not ended and, you know, God willing, will end sometime very, very soon. But a, a, a conversation, a movement that was necessary and that absolutely moved um, people and continues to move people toward a hopeful future. Yeah. Wow. Very good. And, and I, I love what you're saying there and sharing it because there's some really, really rich stuff in relation to that leader needing a voice. And um, as I said to you before about my voice journey as well, right? This is why I started the podcast was because I want to have my voice heard, your voice heard, and then the listeners having, we're developing their voice and helping them become stronger and better leaders, more effective leaders in today's world, which is really important. Nancy, if you were to have a coffee on a park bench with Martin Luther King, would hmm. there be one question that Nancy would want to ask him? Oh, boy. There'd probably be a lot of questions that Nancy would want to ask him. But I, I think the, the thing that I would want to really explore is how he set aside his fear to stay on the path of righteousness. Because, you know, as an entrepreneur, fear shows up all the time and you have to move past it in spite of it, right? Sometimes you don't solve the problem. You don't answer the question. The fear is there. The fear he must have experienced for his family, for his community, for himself, for his beliefs, for his race had to have been enormous. And yet he continued and ultimately lost his life. How did he continue to move down that path? And it might, you know, obviously he was a, a, a preacher. He had a, a strong faith. I would imagine his faith played a role in how he managed his fear, but that would be the thing I would want to explore. I don't know that I could articulate a single question around it, but that's the thing that I'm most curious about. Yeah, I, I saw a wonderful quote that probably sort of summarized what you just said there the other day, and it was, scared is what you're feeling, brave is what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that sort of spot on really sort of summarizes what you said there, because I think it would be a wonderful question. And actually, when you were saying that question and and I was thinking about you two sitting on the park bench. I got I got goosebumps. Um, yeah, so really interesting. Hey, uh, the show here is called Leadership is Changing, and that is the title or the statement. 
What does that mean for you? I think leadership is changing, and I sort of alluded to it or, or stated how earlier in that leadership has to show up at all levels of organizations. And it's not about job title. It's about an energy. It's about an attitude. It's about a willingness to work hard. Um, but I also think that leadership is not a vacuum anymore. It can't be. We can't afford for leadership to be a vacuum. And we have to find ways to engage with people in different areas inside of organizations because they, you know, the, the people we least expect will be the ones to challenge us the most. The people we maybe don't have relationships with are the people that might have some great ideas, some future focused, you know, ideas that could be the next big product set for an organization. I think that hierarchy displaces agency, which is why leaders have always been expected to own it all. And we need more agency inside of organizations at every level. We need people to recognize their power and leaders have to set their egos aside to make space for exactly that so that we can face the future strong and tap into our best talent to get there. Yeah, yeah. I think the pandemic, um, if there was one thing, there were several things that we went through, right? And not great. There were some, some really interesting lessons that come out of it. One thing I got to see was there were some leaders who had the title or the managers, bosses, whatever you want to call them, but mm -hmm. they didn't actually show up, as you say, right? And there was a vacuum. But then what was really pleasing to see was those who didn't have the title step up and take the lead. And really, they are the leaders of the organization. And um, mm -hmm. it was really great to see that actually happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you actually get to see that at all in what you saw in your part of the world? Yeah. We're still seeing it, right? Like the questions that we started to ask in the midst of the pandemic and the lockdowns, we're still seeing people grapple with answering. And the interesting thing about it is we're asking this question about the future of work and we seem to be focused in on where we're going to work. And I think the opportunity now is to ask how we're going to work. How are we going to show up for the future? What are we going to change? What about the systems has, have to change? And I think the answers to those questions are coming from inside the organization. And those are the people that are showing up as leaders, regardless of title. Yep. Yep. Good. Now, you and I are living in a world that's getting faster and faster, seems to be, especially around business, technology, data, social from a social perspective as well. What makes a leader today successful in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? Gina Wickman wrote the book Traction. And Traction is about the uh, entrepreneurial operating system. My company studied that. And one of the things that, he, that Gino defined as it was uh, delegating and elevating. Um, I think leadership is changing uh, and, and must change toward sharing more of the responsibility and delegating appropriately. In other words, no positions can afford to continue to operate in silos. We have to be able to delegate. We have to have people, you know, uh, practicing a more hybrid way of thinking. They have to show up wanting to add value, whether it's in their job description or not. I think we're seeing more and more people doing it. I think we're seeing leaders embrace that. I also think leadership is changing in that we've talked for eons about things like self-care and we've, we've confused self-care with yoga and Pilates and retreats and massages. And really self-care is giving ourselves the brain space to actually think critically and strategically. And I think leadership is starting to embrace 
the the idea that busy, that the hustle isn't always healthy. I think there are ways to to move quickly that don't have to compromise your health or your ability to actually show up strategically with well-considered ideas, having given yourself the space to think them through or experiment or fail and find the lesson. But I think self-care is something that leaders are starting to recognize in the context of this fast-paced reality. We have to give ourselves time to think about how to lead, not just do it. Yep. And I don't think a lot of enough leaders are thinking today. They don't do that. And you're spot on. That's what they need to do. It's not just leaders, everyone in the organization. And I think if people are given that space to think, because if you think about today's kind of meetings that are happening in organizations, people are trying to get their word in and they're they're talking over the top of each other. They're not even given the space to think. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually find that when people start to work with me as, as a coach and I talk to them about, there'll be this pause. They go, yeah, what is this pause? It's it's giving you the space to think. Oh, and it's a bit weird because I'm not used to it. And that needs to happen. But I even think people going away and just sitting down in a quiet space or having music playing, whatever it is, but having that space to actually think and not react to organizations, uh, demands or emails or meetings, then that's going to put you in a great space to to do that. And um, yeah, I think it's very, it's missing. I totally agree. Mm. Totally agree. Mm. Now, you and I have been talking about things as around leadership through the lens of a leader. If we had to flip that on its side and think about through the lens of an employee now, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Mm-hmm. I think pretty dramatically, frankly. I think uh, employees have an expectation that leaders are accessible, that they're relatable, mm. that they see and hear and value people at every level of an organization. In other words, I don't think, you know, it goes back to this idea that leaders can't operate in a vacuum. They also can't be invisible. Um, they have to be present. They have to be well-versed in the in the struggles of their folks. They have to understand what their challenges are and be uh, leaning into finding solutions for those and empowering other people to find solutions for those. So I think it's about accessibility and relatability. I also think that as we have these conversations about the future of work, I think that employees are looking to leaders to really think in terms of the future, not the past, as we will apply it to the future. I think they're looking for leaders to be strong and able to take risks or to try new things. I think those people that are just mandating a return to the office because that's what worked before are going to quickly lose respect from their folks. We have received word loud and clear from most people that work, you know, most places. I mean, you know, obviously the service industry is a, there's a lot of businesses that have to operate differently and require in-person effort. But we've heard from a lot of people that the lockdown situation and the work from home situation really made people realize how much they sacrificed to get to the place where they did the work and how much they lost in terms of time with their family, times from the time from their lives, you know, time for their own self-care, time to manage the rest of the things. I think we heard loud and clear what was gained by staying home during a pandemic. And any leader that disregards all of that and tries to snap back will be in for, I think, a, a really rough reality going forward. Yep. 
I think they'll see some attrition happening and I'll, they'll, they'll see Absolutely. some things. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. there's a tight labor market, as you said, that's where things are going to get a little bit sort of uh, dicey for them as well. And I think, you know, people go on about different generations of, of employees, millennials and so forth. I think what you said earlier on is spot on in the sense that they want people to be strong and they want them to take risks. And if they see a leader that is strong, takes risks, innovative, wants to move forward and things like that, they are on board and they'll hang on mm-hmm. to the coattails and let's go. But if they're not seeing it, they're going to vote with their feet. They're going to leave. That's definitely going to happen. But also, Nancy, what's your thoughts about these organizations trying to bribe people by, come in, we'll give you lunch, pizzas, and things like that to try and bring people back into the, into the office? What do you think about that? Well, it's interesting that you asked me that because it's something I talk about a lot. I think that culture confuses gimmicks and perks with what actually matters to people. And so they think, well, if I say free lunch or, you know, Cadillac salary or benefit plan, that's all that's required. But people actually want to know that they matter, that they're valued, and they want to know that they're going to work with other people that legitimately care about them. In fact, I think people will sacrifice the best salary to be in a space that actually values them enough to give them some freedom and flexibility around their lives, around where they work, and trust them to deliver results versus hours. I think we're going to see people more and more require that their employers measure their performance based on the deliverable, the quality of their work product. I think free lunch and soda and all that stuff, those are perks and people can buy their own perks. It's nice. And, you know, in some instances, in some industries, it's status quo. You know, it's table stakes. But what people really want to know is, do you really see me? Am I really going to matter when I get there? Yep. And there's people I see get made redundant from organizations, especially large global corporate organizations. And they're just known as a, as a name or a number on a spreadsheet. And they don't actually understand who the individual is. And, um, and then I have other leaders saying to me, well, this person's going to be made redundant. What should I do? Treat them like the way that you would want to be treated. Because if you don't, mm-hmm. there's a signal that you're sending to many people. They go, what do you mean? The person who's leaving, they may have been there for 20 years. Come on, be decent in the way that you actually, because it's not an easy situation. But the other thing is mm-hmm. those remaining will watch the way that you actually treat these people. And if you treat them in a poor way, guess what? They're going to go, nah, I don't want to be here either. And mm-hmm. so it's very, it's really important that they do start to think about things like that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, some of the best lessons in leadership are lessons we learned in kindergarten right? In first grade, in early school years, we just forgot. And work is so dysfunctional. And I realize that's a wild general, but so many workplaces are so dysfunctional that we just get that good, solid thinking just beaten out of us. And we fall into these old patterns of behavior. And we forget that we actually do have power and we actually can treat people well. And I say to people all the time, all the articles and the books and whatever say, you know, if your boss notices you and tells you what a great job you're doing, that's supposed to make your whole life. The truth is, if anybody notices you, if anybody thanks you for your effort, if anybody sees you and values you, it actually matters. So we want to not just have bosses that are, you know, recognizing people's contribution. We want teams to recognize each other as being valuable and recognize each other's contributions and, and demonstrate gratitude, but also 
you know, this openness, this mentality around that co-creation happens in that kind of environment. It's a two-way thing as well, right? I mean, it's not just you sitting there going, mm-hmm. hey, treat me better. It's also about how you treat others too. So it's a, it's a two-way thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out here and think about the future. And you were talking about it before about leaders really knowing about the future and, and getting doing things for the future. Where do you see leadership being in five years? Well, I think in five years, we are going to have gone through some stuff because what we know now is that things are changing so quickly and we're having to adapt so much more quickly than we ever had to before. I think about it. We just discovered electricity 300 years ago. And now we have whole companies, whole technologies, whole ways of working and thinking coming, cropping up and disappearing in a year sometimes. So we're adapting and shifting and moving so quickly. But I do think that leadership in five years is going to be, organizations are going to be flatter. Um, we're going to see things change from a expectation standpoint in that people cannot just be their job descriptions. I think, you know, organizations are going to be more clear in how they articulate their expectations of people. But I think more than anything, leadership is not going to be the tip of the org org chart, invisible to most and mandating so much or being the voice of the board and mandating things. They're actually going to look for more contribution, try more experimentation. They're going to work with larger groups of stakeholders to try and experiment and see what works and what doesn't. And I think in doing that, the organization is going to feel flatter because more people have influence and and will see the fruits of those labors pretty immediately. And influence is really, really important. And it all goes back to your Mm -hmm. voice being heard and and being influential and so forth. And yeah, I think it's great. I think it's really good what you've been sharing there. I see it as well going that way too, for sure. Nancy, been a real pleasure talking to you today. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Well, they can go to my company's website, which is at clockwork.com. They can go to our studio's website, which is madebytempo.com, or they can find me at nancylyons.com. Excellent. Well, we'll put those in the show notes, listeners, so you can refer to them as well. And also, don't forget to check out Nancy's book too, Work Like a Boss. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Nancy, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. Awesome. There you go, listeners. And remember that we need to treat people, but it's also about delegating and elevating as well as we work through things. So what are you going to do? How are you going to take what Nancy shared with us today and put it into into practice? So if you want to listen to this episode again, go ahead and do it because I think Nancy has shared some really, really, really cool stuff for you to move forward as an individual and as a leader in today's world. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 